listening to another Discovering New Horizons podcast featuring Dr. Jim Polakoff. Today's guest for this Body, Mind, and Soul episode is Kristen Parsons Hathcock, author of Little Voices. As always, each podcast episode is a search for the truth and how it applies to our daily lives and well-being. Now here to take you on this exciting New Horizons journey is our host, Dr. Jim Polikoff. Yes, this is Dr. Jim Polikoff, and I sincerely wish to thank the thousands of listeners who continue to follow my podcasts. Your loyalty is greatly appreciated. And I have also appreciated how many responses we've been getting from our Celebrity Past Lives episode. Um, my goodness, I mean, the response has been great. I'm glad you've enjoyed it. We've got terrific comments. Keep those comments coming for all of our podcasts. And uh, I promise that we're going to revisit past live celebrities again sometime during the fall. So keep tuning in for that. My guest for this Body, Mind, Soul episode is a unique and genius woman, but one with a very complicated life. She was forced to experience both childhood and adult domestic abuse. And she had to escape from a seductive predator who nearly destroyed her life. But despite her challenges, she found a way to help children who had been abused during their lifetimes. She accomplished this by spiritually channeling children to help them reveal the secrets of their deaths. This is going to be quite exciting when you hear it. Kirsten Parsons Hathcock is living proof that each of us has a gift of intuition that we may not yet have discovered. Today, Kirsten is a Shark Tank winning entrepreneur who heads an internationally known furniture company. She's a motivating TEDx presenter. And she's also an award-winning author of an inspiring new true story that we're going to discuss today. The book is entitled Little Voices. You're going to want to pick up a copy of this one. In any case, welcome, Kirsten, to Discovering New Horizons in Body, Mind, and Soul. Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. I've given listeners some of your background, but before we take a deep dive into your incredible story and how you help children who've passed on and your exciting new book, Little Voices, let's move more towards the beginning. At a young age, you were feeling unhappy. Wasn't sure why. I believe you refer to this stage as gray life. That is exactly what I described it as, a gray life. And I, I just couldn't put my finger on it. So somewhere along the line, I'm not sure, I, I did read through your book and it's very interesting, but somewhere along the line, you visited a psychic who related you have a gift and could help numerous kids. At first you were skeptical, am I correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but, absolutely. Then, you began, but then you began dreaming of a child by the name of Nate. Then what happened? So, yes, yes. Uh, it's, it's an unusual story that I have, you know, to tell in <laughs> my journey in life is very unusual. I grew up in a very, very grounded um, upbringing. My parents were teachers. My dad was a football coach. I'm from Ohio. I believed only in what I could see and touch and feel. I did not believe in psychic anything um, and really was kind of repelled by it. So it was really interesting. Uh, I was 36 when I started to kind of uh, feel like I understood what the gray was. 
um, and even kind of put a name to it. You know, I, I should have been happy on all fronts. I had a great husband, great kids, uh, a burgeoning furniture company that was kind of exploding. Um, and, you know, I, I should have been happy on all fronts. But I felt this strange kind of emptiness. A void of some kind? Yeah, there was a weight and there was an emptiness. And, you know, I, I, again, didn't believe in any of this stuff, but I passed the psychic shop every day when I was taking our kids <laughs> to school. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go try this. And of course, now I can look back and realize that I was absolutely guided to do this. But she didn't was- have a crystal ball, did she? <laughs> you know, she probably did in the back. She did. I almost left. I went into the, the store and I sat there for a second waiting for her to come out. And I'm looking around the room and, you know, it's just the antithesis of everything that I've ever believed in. And uh, and so I, I kind of got nervous. And but the minute she came out and we started talking, I felt more at ease. And, you know, I, it was I was 36. Literally, it was my birthday. Um, I was turning 36 on September 9th. 2009. And if you're into numerology, uh, you recognize that that's a lot of nines. And uh, yeah, nines definitely mean mean some big stuff in numerology. So she tells me, basically sat down, told me a lot of stuff that there's no way she could have possibly known. And then she says, you know, you're going to help millions of children. And at the time I was building furniture in my garage. And it was before I had gone on Shark Tank. Uh, with my company. So I'm a self-taught carpenter and furniture designer. And so I'm just building away. And all I could think is this is bizarre. Like I'm making high-end kids furniture. This is not going to change the world. So you were making kids furniture, which is a tie-in right there. Okay. Exactly. But I just couldn't figure out why, why she's saying I'm going to help millions of kids. Um, So I, you know, I, I took everything with a grain of salt, but I also couldn't, I couldn't, really, you know, put my finger on how she knew everything that she did about me. So I, it w- I was kind of grappling with all of that. And, you know, she said, listen, you've got some healing to do. And, you know, you're going to do this healing and you're going to help millions of people, but you have to start with that first. But, but you have to start to- helping the children first. Is that part of the healing I process? I had to actually heal first. Now, the problem was she didn't tell me what the healing was from. She said that there was there, you know, hinted at that there were things that happened in my childhood, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the right time for me to discover that yet. So when did you hear from the uh, when did you hear from the first child? It was when you were working uh, building furniture. Am I correct? Yes. So I actually, um, I started, I started to notice that, uh, things were happening around me and I, I couldn't explain that. Um, she did say, you know, again, I'm, I'm thinking back as I'm working in the garage, I'm thinking back to what she said, which was you have a gift like mine, but you're not going to open up a shop and do this type of work. You're going to help millions of children. You have to heal first. So I'm out in the garage building furniture and nails are moving across the workbench on their own. And I have no scientific reason why. So you're, you're sitting back, you're watching your workbench and you see these nails move. Yes. Interesting. And then I'm hearing, I'm hearing voices of children say, mom, mom. And you know, it, it's such a familiar sound because I was a mom of two children. So I naturally thought, well, the, the, they're my kids asking for me. So I run inside really quickly. And then I remember, oh, they're at school. Well, who's calling my name? And, you know, I naturally I'm looking for every single scientific um, 
outlet, you know, and trying to look at, okay, well, that, that could be a child outside on the, you know, on the sidewalk who was calling to their own mom. So I am still dismissing everything that's happening, but it did ramp up. It got to the point where kids were walking, spirit children were walking through my kitchen. Could you actually see them? And I could see them. Yes. Really? Yes. Yes. So uh, I got hit over the head with it at that age. So I was still uh, around the age of 36. Once I started to understand that it wasn't all of the polyurethane, you know, that I had been breathing <laughs> in my garage <laughs> and that I wasn't losing my mind, yeah. I realized that, you know, this is actually real. And I think it started to ramp up even more and more children started to try and communicate with me and give messages to me once I started to believe that this was real. And so that happened actually about six months. After now, what, we're, during this process, were they actually just moving through your, your, your area or were they speaking to you? They were speaking to me. And what were um, they saying? They were, uh, well, some. And there was them. more than one, I'm assuming, because I remember in your book, Nate was the one that came to mind. Yes, Nate. He's wonderful. So I didn't dream about Nate, but Nate actually did show up while I was reading a Facebook post. Mm -hmm. And I happen to know his, I know his parents from my high school, from my hometown, but I didn't know them well. We were just Facebook friends. So I'm reading a Facebook post and it is a memorial post uh, for Nate. Nate died when he was 13 of an AVM, uh, brain AVM, so it's like an aneurysm. And, um, and then I basically reading it, I'm getting chills from head to toe. I am just sitting in my chair thinking, this is why am I feeling all of this? And then suddenly I could see him out of the corner of my eye standing next to me and he, and then I could hear him. So it was the, really one of the first times that I could integrate all of those, the Claire audience, the Claire. Do you recall his expression? Was he sad? Was he he had yeah. kind of a grin on his face because, oh. he, you know, he knew where this was going to lead. He's one of those souls that's around me a lot. I have a lot of children around me and they, you know, I wrote the book because they ended up helping save my life. And mm -hmm. so I, and, and that's a story for later in the podcast. Right, right. I ended up, I ended up, you know, kind of recognizing that he was there. And I thought, okay, if this is real, which I think it is, I'm just going to write down everything he says. I don't honestly remember what I wrote down. I don't remember what I share. And I think that's pretty common with a lot of mediums that we don't remember. I don't even know where my notes are, to be honest with you. I just knew that I'm going to take this information down and then I'm going to sit on this and figure out if I want to put myself out there and try and reach out to his parents. Did he ask you to reach out to his parents? He did. He did. He did. Mm -hmm. So I, I sat there for a minute and I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to tuck this away because this is really scary. I don't, first of all, I do not want to bring any more pain to them because they had already lost their child. I don't know if they are open to any of this, if they are skeptical like I was. Um, I just, I knew that this was not something that I needed to rush into. So I went along my path. I think it was a day or two later that I was in the garage building a toy box. And I had this very quiet, calm knowing go through me. It was more of a feeling than anything else. And that calm said, now's the time. Was there a voice that said that or just your intuition? Intuition, just a right. feeling of peace. And um, I'm grateful for that because it actually helps me. It, it helps me identify that 
you know, my intuitive hits and my intuition, A, are real, but it also, intuition can feel very calming. You know, I think we're we're in a world that is so fear-based, right? There's so much fear and Absolutely. So much chaos. And um, yes, it was scary to reach out to them, but that inner knowing told me everything was going to be okay if I did. So at that point, did you decide to contact the parents? I did. I did. I decided to contact them. I reached out on Facebook messenger to his mother, Denise. And I, uh, and again, I don't really remember exactly what I said, but I, you know, basically said, you might know my parents, you might remember me from high school. They were a little bit older than I was. Uh, and I just tried to be a, you know, make sure that they understood that I, this was coming from my heart. I am not somebody who would take advantage of anyone. Um, mediumship is actually never anything that I've done for a living. Uh, it's something that I've always done on a volunteer basis. So I made sure they understood stood all of that. And then just basically ask if she was open to hearing the messages I was receiving. Did you talk to her personally or was uh, uh, did you continue through Messenger? I did. So we went back and forth a little bit. And then I remember getting on the phone with her. And the messages that I tend to get from the children are, and from spirit in general are very, very specific. So there are things that, again, like when I went to the psychic medium for the first time, there were things that nobody could have ever known. Um, these are, you know, this happens quite a bit. So they show you evidential information first. That way the person understands this really is truly them. How long so, did it take uh, the mother to believe you? It you know, couldn't have happened I, right away. It was interesting. I think she was ready to believe. And I think ah. she was also being guided to believe. So, Interesting. So she had some guidance you feel as well. I do. I do. Okay. And so she, uh, you know, and she was, it, it, you know, it's so painful. I can't even imagine losing a child and I can't even go there and think about losing my own child or my own children. But I, I think that part of that had to do with wanting to know that he was okay, you know, and that he could communicate. Uh, his father was a little bit different. And I didn't know this because a lot of this stuff was happening behind the scenes, but they both later told me, you know, that he was thinking, okay, what's her angle? Right. There had to be skepticism involved. Sure. Absolutely. So he was definitely more of a skeptic. Um, We spoke back, you know, basically back and forth for a little while. I happened to have been going home to Defiance, Ohio to visit my parents uh, on a particular trip that year. And I, basically said, Hey, I'd love to meet with you, both of you. I would just love, you know, and, and if any other messages come through right. and they did. they did. And so there were more messages from Nate that you then shared with her, his parents. Yes. What about uh, other children have come to you as well. Then did they mm-hmm. begin, did this become a pattern that more and more children came to you and wanted you to contact their parents? So some of them want me to contact their parents. Some of them want me to contact law enforcement and that's where it, Initially, it was not. Initially, it was uh, more kids like Nate. They died of natural causes. Um, Then all of a sudden, I started to notice that some of the children that were coming to me had been killed by pedophiles. Oh, my God. So they came to as abused children. Yeah. And I didn't know why. I kept thinking to myself, well, okay, I'm a mom. I build kids furniture. I clearly have fashioned my life around children in some, you know, force. And I thought, okay, well, this must be why they're coming to me. So it actually took about two years, two or three years before I figured out the answer as to why they were coming to me. 
but there was a pattern there. I noticed that whether or not, you know, if they were killed by predators, um, there was a big group of kids that came to me that were saying that they were. Then there were the kids that had died, uh, maybe of overdose or something like, or suicide, and yet sexual abuse was still was in their background. Was in the background. So did this lead you to contact law enforcement to say, "Hey, I've got kids. I mean, I know what happened with them." And yes, yes, and that, that was the next step. It was terror. Yes, and it was absolutely terrifying because you know here I am uh, running a successful furniture brand, thinking I don't really want people to know this about me. Um, I don't want it to hurt my family. I don't want it to hurt my company. Uh, and I certainly don't want to go out on a limb and put myself out there and then be be wrong. But I also, you know, looking back now, it's been 12 years since I first started channeling. The universe guides you to the right people. And that's absolutely what happened. I was guided to the right detectives. Uh, and those detectives I still work with today around the country. So... Just to give us a round number, I mean, just a few numerous detectives. I mean, did you become, uh, did the word get out, get out that Kirsten has this special <laughs> gift and can help um, us assi- solve some of these crimes? No, it didn't. And I'm actually really happy about that. It will once this book comes out and I'm ready for that. Um, in fact, I even co-founded a nonprofit where we're literally going to be helping families of missing and murdered um, children and women and, and adults. And that is, that's a great thing because that will then be the conduit, you know, for me to be able to help more people and to help more law enforcement uh, mm-hmm. officers. But in the beginning, no, I, I felt very protected and I found the people that I knew trusted intuition one of those uh, who I founded the nonprofit with, his name is Mark Cucci. He's a decorated New York uh, NYPD cop. And he was, uh, he's also retired now. And but So you were in California at the time, am I correct? Yes. 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 Okay. And he's in New York and you're helping to solve a crime that took place in New York. Yes. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, it was nice that I wasn't thrust into it and people weren't calling me, you know, left and right and asking right. for my help because I also, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I have a furniture company, I am a writer. I have all of these other things that I do and I want to be able to live that life, that human life, you know. As as a child, you also experienced abuse. Yes. Uh do you mind discussing it uh, and uh is this a factor in your quest to help children? Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't mind talking about it at all. I, I do detail that as you read in the book. I, you know, to kind of back up a little bit, I ended up, you know, channeling for probably a good two, two and a half years and forming relationships with law, law enforcement and with other families, helping other highly intuitive children even come to grips with their intuition because as a 36 year old it was terrifying for me i can't even you know i as a young child unbelievably scary but it was about two and a half years in that i found out why they were coming to me and this is why so i was sexually abused and raped by a distant uncle uh, when i was Mm. between the ages of three and six Mm. stopped at the age of six and it took the all of that time of channeling and understanding and and really having faith in my own intuition to then see that when I started having visions of myself 
uh, you know, which was shocking because I was used to having visions of other children, but I recognized that child as me. Um, I understood that that wasn't just make-believe. It wasn't just something in my head. It was real. So it was something that was always there that bothered you, but you couldn't put your finger on it. And all of a sudden, the dots connected. Yes, exactly. And it answered the question as to why they were coming to me. Those children were coming to me. So I, you know, I can look back now and I can connect all of the dots. I even had physical issues. I had to have vaginal surgery when I was 19, um, thinking it was something congenital, but yet it was not. It was abuse related to, you know, when I was a child. So I can look back at all of my life and say, oh, well, that makes total sense. This is why I'm so modest. This is why the, you know, these things have presented themselves in my life. Um, but yet this happened. And then in your book, and I'm not trying to jump too far ahead, okay. but in your book, uh, then you you yourself as an adult mm-hmm. got into an abusive relationship. Yes. So with a predator. Is, absolutely. So talk about full circle, right? Here I am working right. on cases involving predators. I then realize I am a childhood sexual abuse survivor. And then I literally fall in love with a predator. Uh, and I think what what is so interesting about my story and one of the reasons I wrote wrote this is because if you talk to abuse survivors, uh, whether it is narcissistic abuse, sociopathic abuse, um, you know, all forms of physical domestic violence, uh, all of them, intuition is key. And it's something that we all ignored. And I ignored my intuition. So you had an intuition about mm, perhaps I'm not doing the right thing, but your emotion took over your intuition, so I'm assuming, correct? Yes. And I, and even more so than emotion, I think it's the subconscious programming that an abuse survivor, especially in childhood, is left with. And that's something I did not understand. I didn't study psychology, so I had no idea there was a concept called wounded attachment. So basically what happened is I, you know, my, my marriage at the time um, was not, it was rocky. We had been through a lot of stuff. Um, I end up meeting this man who literally sort of swept me off my feet, but I can now call that grooming because that's exactly what he did. He sort of groomed me the way that my uncle groomed me and little Kirsten, who had just sort of was dormant, you know, back here, very separated from adult Kirsten started driving the bus. Little Kirsten was absolutely full on feeling like, this person feels familiar to me because that person did feel like my uncle. It's all a feeling of love that we want to feel, correct? Yes. So it was really interesting because I, um, it went against everything that I have ever been in every, I'm a, I'm a very devoted, loyal, justice-minded person. Um, I basically came home and told my husband after meeting this man, I would like out of our marriage, I'm done. Um, and sure, we, you know, we had a lot of a lot of stuff that a lot of folks go through in marriages, but it it just, you know, after a week of knowing someone, it was very uncharacteristic. Mm-hmm. So I finally understood, you know, after I got out of this relationship, which spanned three years. Well, so, if I'm correct in your book, yeah. and and this is not abnormal in your book, you went in and out of the relationships. You left this man seven times. Yes. And you came back each time, which is not 
<laughs> which happens with abused women. I mean, it, it's just very, very typical. And you have to go through that seven times the my goodness. And that's an average, which is interesting. That's like a, a statistical average that it does take seven times. Mm-hmm. And I think that was, you know, that was such a learning process for me and also a forgiveness process that I went through because, you know, I really was healing little Kirsten. Either I was either I was killing little Kirsten or oh. I was healing her. And I had to actually stand up to the abuse that I endured, you know, as an adult to heal little Kirsten who abused, who was abused as a child. And it did take seven times. It did. Uh, I, I would I imagine also me. you are also dealing with the fact that, uh, well, I guess it's a fact, um, blaming yourself for what happened to you as a child. Absolutely. which is typical and and also blaming yourself for having a relationship outside of marriage so to speak oh so you know the you've got the guilty conscience on top of you know yes. not knowing and and fighting your intuition at the same time very complicated oh my gosh so complicated and yes um, i mean that was absolutely could i've done things differently yes could I, you know, could I have been more communicative with my husband? Yes. We are back together. That's the good news. Right, right. <laughs> um, and we've been back together since 2017. And, you know, I will, uh, I will say, because he actually does talk about this in the book, you know, he knew that this was part of my journey, but he also understood that, you know, marriage is, is two, two ways, right? You've got two people there working on this thing. Mm-hmm. And he fully admits now that he was very much the Peter Pan syndrome guy. He loved flying around. He loved doing all of this fun stuff. And I was the one who was taking care of everything. You were grounded. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, the weight of that got really heavy on top of everything else that I was dealing with. And so if we hadn't gone through that separation of three years, I don't know if we would be together now. So very understanding he was, I mean, you know, to allow you to to go through this journey and and obviously perhaps now your marriage is stronger than it ever was. Yes. Yes. Because I guess that's the good news from it all. Oh my gosh. So much good news from it. Yes. That is absolutely the best news. In your book, Little Voices, you write, healing from abuse is the hardest thing I've ever done. But apparently I was supposed to endure what I did to get where I was going. Sounds a bit like predestination. Yes. And this is where it gets it got really tricky tricky for me. And it's very tricky. Um, I think for a lot of survivors. On one hand, I can see from a psychology standpoint, wounded detachment, subconscious programming. I get why I absolutely went down that rabbit hole. On the other hand, those children in spirit who have been around me and who are coming to me for help, they actually helped save my own, my life because they were giving me messages as I was trying to get out of the abuse. And they were saying, after it was all said and done, you could not have avoided this. He was written into basically your life plan, your life path. Did and you so, find that these children were supportive of you while you were going through this abusive relationship? Yes, very much so. Um, they could. How would they support say, you? They couldn't say everything because I think you know, as you know, we're here as spiritual beings having human experiences, right? And some of this stuff has to unfold naturally. So they couldn't full on come out and say, 
you know, he's a sociopathic predator. You, this is not what you think it is. But they did say this is not what you think it is about mm-hmm. six months in. Um, then as I got through, as I was going through all of it and questioning, and you kind of think you're going crazy when you're dealing with someone who is narcissistic and sociopathic, uh, because you can't, I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't rational, rationalize any of it. Right. And as I was going through that, they were saying things like, you know what this is, Kirsten, you know what this is. And after mm-hmm. I got out of the relationship, they were guiding me, go get the restraining order now. Call, make sure you call the cops and make sure the cop calls him. And, you know, so I was I was being guided by them as well. That's well, such an interesting story. It, it also with, with these children, I mean, did your communication, I'm just curious, go beyond exactly what was happening, what they wanted you to convey or how they felt at the moment? Did they discuss afterlife, the, the world that they were in now or the uh, shall we say, you know, beyond life? Did they talk about that and what their environment was? They talk about it, yes. Um, not necessarily what their environment is, but we talk, you know, that they'll share a lot of messages. And in fact, I believe my second book, which has been, cha- the title has been channeled. <laughs> it's going to, huh. going to be called What They Told Me. And uh-huh. so I'm going to share all of those messages of, you know, what they say about, you know, some tough topics, what they say about abortion, what they say about miscarriage, what they say about life in general, about reincarnation. And these are children who are who are talking to you. So we have to realize they could be anywhere from 7 to 15, 16, 17 years old. And yet now on the other side, they have a mature mind. Am I correct? Yes. Yes. Interesting. So their mind has developed, even though they never went on as children to live into adulthood. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And and on occasion, you know, I I remember when I first started channeling, there was a particular little girl who was involved, who was murdered. And, uh, and I would always see her one way when she would present herself, she would always be present herself at the age that she passed. But then later on, a couple of years later, she presented herself as the age that she would have been had she been alive today. Oh, interesting. So they can they can show you know themselves in any way they want to show themselves. And for me, you know, mostly obviously they're coming in as children because they want me to understand that that is exactly were, were they always physically seen by you or or sometimes you just heard the voices? Um most of the time I, I physically see them because I need to identify them. Uh, mm. They don't always show them. Ah, particularly if they were abused and you're talking to law enforcement or exactly. you know, trying to solve the, the crime, you know, right. seeing them obviously is important, Absolutely. which must may amaze the law enforcement officers and involved the fact that you can be across the, the country and still have visualized the description of, of the abused child. Yes, there have hmm. definitely been some holy crap moments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I would imagine. Uh, <laughs> Do other people come to you? I mean, you consider, I'm assuming you consider yourself a psychic medium. Uh, and do other people come to you because they want to communicate with their family members who might have passed on? Yes, but, you know, I learned early on, I, I, I learned that not only did I need boundaries in life, with regular people that are here, you know, um, and because that's one of the things I did not have um, as a child who was sexually abused, 
you know, you're, you're programmed to believe that you have to please in order to survive. So mm-hmm. I spent most of my life as a people pleaser. I did not have boundaries. I would not say no. I would always say yes to everyone. Um, so I had to learn that, but I also had to learn that on the other side and working with those that are on the other side, because otherwise I'm getting, I would get inundated. I mean, there would be hundreds. I would imagine. And when this book comes out, you will be inundated. Uh, I can assure you. I mean, do you feel that you have purged your demons, so to speak? Do you feel that you're, you're beyond now the abuse that you had and you can go forward and not have that burden on your shoulder? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think I will, I will always regret. There's always regret, right? Um, Especially in, in hurting my family. Now they will say, we know you had to go through this. We love you, mom. You know, they understood why, but I wish that it hadn't hurt my husband and hurt my children, you know, (sighs) what had happened. But as far as the demons are concerned, I look at that more, not like demons, but um, I healed little Kirsten, you know, and I think Mm -hmm. I'll always still be healing to some degree, but little Kirsten was showing up in very physical ways. For example, when I, uh, when I actually did write a letter to my uncle, I was, I was just basically addressing the envelope and putting his address on it. And Mm -hmm tears started flooding down. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel the tears. I didn't get verklumped. I didn't feel that heat and that burning that you get when you start to, to well up, but the tears were just falling. And, and to your uncle, did, did you communicate that now I know what you did to me or yes. did you, yes. were you forgiving? How did that go? I don't, I actually think the whole forgiveness thing, I, you know, I, I, I think that's, um, I don't, I don't like pushing that and I don't push that. Uh, I think that's a very personal choice. Mm-hmm. I did say that I wasn't ready to forgive him. I understand why he did what he did because he was all, you know, we're looking at generations, cycles of abuse, generations of abuse. And this is why we're in this situation that we're in today. Right. And I think it's good you didn't forgive because yeah. that would, you know, leave it open for someone to do it again to someone else. I, yes. I don't think, I don't think it's, you know, we're predisposed to forgive like that for such evil things that happen. Yeah. I don't think it's necessary in order to move forward and to heal. I didn't, I don't feel like I needed to forgive him. I needed to kind of look internally and see, okay, what can I do to help myself move forward? So the tears were actually little Kirsten crying, not adult Kirsten. And that separation let me know that I needed to help integrate her and I needed to sort of mother her. And um, she would show up in ways, uh, you know, when I was being yelled at and screamed at by the abuser, and she would show up as a pulsating, like vibrating feeling on my right hip. And I started to, yeah, I started to notice this pattern. Once I got out of the relationship, it stopped. And so it was really kind of her screaming at me saying, this is not okay. You know, this is, this is hurting us. And uh, I haven't, I haven't had that sensation since, which is pretty cool. We're going to talk about your book in a moment, but let's move to the lighter side. Yeah, uh, this has all been pretty heavy. So, uh, and it's a lot to digest, you know, it really is. Um, but in any case, I mean, you come across so credibly, so believable. Um, tell me about this. You were obviously, you mentioned you were a self-taught carpenter and, you were a furniture designer. Uh, then you took your business 
to the TV show Shark Tank. Uh, that must have been exciting and financially re- rewarding. What was that experience like? It was. It was. I can't. I mean, I honestly can't thank Shark Tank enough. Uh, and I still keep in touch with the, one of the executive producers to this day. And uh, and that's been pretty cool. But Shark Tank was uh, a terrifying thing to do because, first of all, who wants to go on national television and fall flat on their face? Because if you watch the show, you know that it can get brutal. In most cases. Mm -hmm. Right. But my intuition told me that I should do it after my dad mentioned that there was a new show. So I actually went on and I filmed in 2010. It aired in 2011. And um, my experience was, was fascinating because I learned a lot. And it was during that same time period where I was starting to channel. And I learned a lot about trusting not only my intuition as it relates to hearing voices from other children, but trusting my own intuition. Because I'm on the show and they're saying, okay, you know, write out what you want your script to be, what you want to say when you first get out there to all the sharks. So I do. And then the line producers work with you and they start to offer suggestions to edit which is great. This is what they do. You know, I mean, you know, you were in the business. And so I'm trusting completely that they know what they're doing and that I should just absolutely please them. Old Kirsten, Mm. right? People pleaser. So I did everything they said I should do. But yet when I got up to practice two days before I actually was with filming with the sharks, I bombed completely because it had morphed into a speech that was not. It wasn't you. It wasn't, it didn't come from internal. So you bombed on the show, you say? Is that what happened or before? Before the show, they're uh, two days prior to filming. They bring uh, all of the folks in. who are So it's like a dress rehearsal. A dress rehearsal, yes. Right. In front of the legal team, mm-hmm. you know, in front of the entire production team. So there are probably 50 to 100 right. people there. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the part uh, that I'm most proud of is that after I bombed, of course, I was kind of upset. And I, and I spoke with this executive producer who's so kind. And Clay said to me, you know what? Just go home and practice. It's going to be fine. Just keep practicing. And I said, Clay, I don't, I can't. This is just not me. And so I went home and uh, I basically just rewrote the whole thing that I had been practicing for a month, but I rewrote it. And then what you see on the actual Shark Tank episode is what I wrote in two days. And it's the only reason that I got two offers. Well, and that's the, the, the important thing. You got offers. Did you accept any of them? I did. I accepted an right. offer from Robert Hershevik. And right. uh, and I was super excited about that, of course, and very hopeful. And that didn't work out. He decided that he felt like I was still a little bit too small and he wanted me to come back. And I think mm. he wanted me to come back after the episode aired. But at that point, you know, I was it, that was devastating. I sat down. I, I literally went out and bought like a six pack of Corona and I sat on my floor <laughs> and I cried. <laughs> and I thought, but then, you know, yeah. it, it was one of those moments that shaped my life because I thought, okay, I can do this. I've done this thus far. Right. I've been building furniture in my garage, selling it internationally, selling it to celebrities uh, on my own without Shark Tank. So I picked myself back up and I kept going. And I think that that was also a key. Because I think that's the story of your life so far. Yeah. You, you pick yeah. yourself up, back up, and you keep on forging ahead. You just keep going. Yeah. And, and then you share your story. You, you did a TEDx presentation. Mm-hmm. You share your story so you can inspire others. How did that go? 
it was um, the, the TEDx. The TEDx talk was really interesting, and I was really grateful also for that experience, and and was grateful at the time, and am grateful now. However, you know, TEDx is very science based, and uh, anytime you come with some kind of information like in journey like mine, uh, I I think people are thinking woo woo kind of yes, thing, right? I figured yeah. nobody was going to take on my TEDx talk, but Sedona, mm-hmm. Arizona, did. And, you know, they're kind of a woo-woo capital. So Right, right. That's where you go if you're psychic. Yes. Sedona's the place. Exactly. Uh, What was interesting about that is that I I pitched, you know, I basically gave my talk. Um, It was was an amazing experience. I, a lot of people came up afterwards in tears saying, thank you so much for sharing, you know, what you, what you did. TEDx as an organization decided to cut out a lot of parts of my speech. So the parts that where I talk about intuition, those were cut. Really? That's the most, perhaps the most important part of it. It is. And so that was really, really disappointing because I had, I really didn't have a choice in that. So what you see, if you go to the TEDx site is my pitch, but it was basically all the intuition was cut out of it. I did post my, my um, daughter actually took a video while I was doing, you know, while I was on stage. And so I posted that on my website. So my, so on your website is which we're going to talk about later, but on your website is the real TEDx talk from the heart. So yeah, yeah, it's pretty interesting how that worked. So uh, one of the, let's get to your book right now. You're, you're very fortunate to have an excellent, uh, agent, uh, Tina Wainscott, uh, and now a publisher, Post Hill Press, who's arranged, uh, I believe, to release the book September 20th, if I'm yes. correct. Right? Yes, thank you. But, you know, one of the strong reviews, I'm just looking at it here, one of the many strong reviews that you've had for your book states, Little Voices is a life-changing book. Not only will it make the biggest skeptic believe in intuition, but it will also conduct the dots or connect the dots for millions of abuse survivors. Apparently you agree. I do agree. <laughs> and I'm I mean, you've had many good. That. Yeah. <laughs> you, you've, you've, you've had many, many good books, but about intuition and, and something that I think we'd like to kind of, you know, pass on because we've, you've touched on it all the way through our interview here. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's really kind of, since we're running out of a bit of time where it's my last main question. Okay. It's your belief that we all have the gift of intuition. So can you provide a couple of tips to our listening audience as to how they can begin to develop their intuition? Any secrets? I would love to. Yes. Yes. So, you know, again, coming from being a very skeptical, scientific minded person who believes in empirical research, uh, intuition is something that's difficult to believe in. And I, but I honestly think that that's the key. That was the key for me uh, was to set the intention that I want to be open to recognizing my intuition. And had I not done that, you know, I was hit over the head with it and I needed to be shown all of this proof. But when it comes down to it, if you want to strengthen your intuition, you just have to be committed to it and say, I am open, like, show me the signs. And I do believe all of us have intuitive abilities. I think it's like anything else. You know, you've got the Michael Jordan of basketball. You're always going to have people that are dialed up a little bit higher. Uh, But 
everyone has the ability to recognize signs from their loved ones in spirit, to communicate with those in spirit. You just have to pay attention. And the more you pay attention, the more you will notice. All right. So so that's rather interesting. I, I, just out of curiosity, is intuition comparable to a gut feeling? When somebody says, I've got a gut feeling about this or that? Yes, I believe so. And that's how I always spoke about it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I didn't realize, of course, now looking back, I, I was always a highly intuitive child. Uh, and I would have gut feelings. I would have feelings about people when I met them. So, you know, I think, I think that we are programmed in our society to only believe in what we can see and feel, you know, that, that conscious mind, right? But really the gift that we all have, which can be used as a roadmap, is the mm-hmm. stuff that we feel, you know, we feel all of these things, especially as children. And then it's sort of, um, I don't know, conditioned out of us in a way. Well, that kind of makes sense uh, uh, regarding a, a guest that, uh, that I recently had on a podcast who gets into past life regression and all of that. But she contends that much of this is brought on by, by angels and spirit guides, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So I think you're really saying intuition is part of listening to people who are around us and trying to help us, whether they be little children in your case, or perhaps angels or spirit guides or whatever, but whoever it is on the other side is somehow trying to help us if we'd only allow our minds to be open to it. Yes, that's the key. That was the key for me. Just to say, you know what? So what? I don't necessarily believe in all of this. I'm going to be open to it. I'm going to set the intention that I want to be more open to it. And that was the key. The floodgates sort of opened at that point because I was open to knowing there's a lot we we can't understand and we can't prove, you know, in the world right, of science. Right. Thankfully, we're catching up in that world of science. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. I definitely think that that is the key. You just have to be open to seeing that they are around us all the time and the messages and the signs. And if you see one, 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 one all the time, that's a message. And that's a message. huh? Um, yeah, and your nines you, with your yes. nines, it's the same type of thing. Yes. So, so where can we find your book? It's going to be out September 20th. Uh, Post Hill press is the publishing company, correct? Yes. Uh, where are we going to find the book? So it is distributed by Simon and Schuster, which basically, which is fantastic. So it's oh yes, one of the bigger ones. Yes, so it's it's pretty much everywhere. So Amazon, huh. independent booksellers. Um, you can also find me if you want to if you want to go to all of those different links. You can go to my website, which is kirstenhathcock.com. Right, and and people may have a problem just like they do with my name because it's James Polikoff. Uh, Kirsten is K I E R S T E N. Yes, and Hathcock is H A T H. Yes, C O C K. That's right. Dot com. Yeah. yeah. Well, the important thing is uh, again the, the nice thing about our listening audience and. Uh, They've been growing recently, which I always am pleased about, but uh, they come to our website often. And again, I want to remind our audience that you come to our website, which is jamespolikoff.com, and uh, we're going to have our narrator, so to speak, mention that again. But you come to our website, you're going to find all the information about Kirsten. But also, you can, I'm sure, plug in or Google Little Voices. Mm -hmm. Correct. And then it'll probably come up as well. 
And you definitely will be able to find it on Amazon by putting in Little Voices, even if you don't remember how to spare Kirsten's name or spell Kirsten's (laughs) name. So one way or the other, we're going to get this out and we're going to get it out through social media. People need to read this book. It's inspirational. It's exciting. Uh, It's a page turner. You're not going to be bored by it by any minute. You're going to sit down and you're not going to want to stop reading it until you have finished the book. So this is something that I recommend to our listeners uh, and what Kirsten is doing and this foundation that you're setting up to help children. Uh, the more you read the book and the more you tell people about this book, the more support Kirsten is going to get to help children through her foundation. Yes. So that's also the way to look at it. Am I correct? You are correct, Jim. Thank you so much. Thank you for for endorsing the book as well. That was beautiful. Gave well, no, it's, <laughs> it, it comes from the heart. And, and again, uh, remember, uh, you know, you can get this all this information on our website. But Kirsten, I want to thank you. You've been very informative, enlightening. And I really do hope uh, our listeners take you up and give this concept of intuition a little bit more thought. We thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me, Jim. You can discover more information about our guest, Kirsten Hathcock, and her book, Little Voices, by visiting our website, jamespolakoff.com. That's James, P-O-L-A-K-O-F.com. Again, jamespolakoff.com. Also, you'll discover a variety of valuable resources on our website for other terrific Body, Mind, and Soul podcast episodes. jamespolakoff.com. Now back to Dr. Jim. Our production coordinator, Faith Michelle, is absolutely correct. Our Discovering New Horizons website contains an amazing amount of valuable information and resources. And also there are a number of great body, mind, soul episode podcasts. Plus, we certainly welcome your comments and suggestions. We really appreciate that and they're very helpful. So again, we invite you to visit jamespolikoff.com. This is Dr. Jim Polikoff. Thank you for listening.